there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. special treat we've got dr leslie eyed on the podcast we are going to be talking about flying with your dogs say hi to everyone hi everyone um so i think it'd be smart for us to just start out with a basic kind of what happens when so do you want to go over the whole process from when you decide to fly how you pick your flight the booking all of that sure um so first of all i am going to be 100% clear in that my personal experience is with Alaska Airlines only and it is domestic travel not international travel so far so far um so with specifically Alaska Airlines um whenever I'm looking for a flight I really try and find a direct flight so I'm going to try and find a direct flight to the closest destination to where I'm going and I will drive the rest of the way once I book the flight online you have 24 hours to change your flight without incurring a change fee so I immediately call an agent to book the dogs as checked baggage because you have to speak to an agent you can't just book a dog in the online booking process right correct yeah um the issue with why you also need to speak to an agent is that each airplane is going to have restrictions on kennel size and number of dogs that they can fly as checked baggage. So there have been occasions, especially when flying to big dog events, that I will book my flight and then call and the agent will tell me, oh, we already have our max number of dogs on that flight. And so therefore, I have to switch flights. So that is why you want to do it in a within a 24-hour period. So literally, book the flight online, immediately call the agent. Um, depending on who you talk to, the agents will go over everything with you. What you need to know when you call is what size kennel you are traveling in. Um, and know that they are going to require a health certificate and a health certificate is good for 10 days after you get it. Um, and they are going to ask you also what type of dog you are flying with because most airlines do have restrictions on what type of dogs can fly as checked baggage and that is not just because the airlines are mean that is because it's for the dog's health and safety some dogs are not good at self-regulating their temperature um, and they're not good at breathing and so some of these dogs are therefore not allowed to fly as checked baggage in case they do get nervous and start to panic that could cause them to um, 
have problems. So you definitely need to know if your breed is one of those breeds. And we're largely talking about brachycephalic breeds, like the smush face dogs. Correct. So boxers, bulldogs, pugs. All of those, yes. Um, those kinds of dogs. So you want to be speaking to the airline. And all of that stuff is always on the airline's website. Yes. As well. So after you've booked your flight, then the next big step is also, you know, making sure you have everything together for the dogs, which we're going to go into later. Um, But really, um, the next part is getting to the airport with plenty of time to stand (laughs) in line um, to get the dog checked in. So most of the time, if you, again speaking through experience with Alaska, when you have a dog booked as checked baggage, they will not let you check in online. You have to go in and speak to a counter agent. When you go in, you will fill out extra forms. They will look at the health certificate. They will look at your kennel. They will approve everything and do all, you'll have extra paperwork to do stuff that goes on the kennel. Once that is done, Then you have to go to the oversized baggage security area. And every airport has them. They're they're different places in in different um, airports. But it's basically just where the TSA agent is going to screen your kennel, make sure you're not transporting anything um, illegal in there, Make sure, so it's another check to make sure the kennel is appropriate. And then they will have you put the dog in the kennel and watch you um, zip tie the kennel closed. Once that has happened, you're not allowed to put anything else in the kennel. Um, And then the next step is for the baggage handling company to come and get the dog in the kennel and take them to the baggage area. Um, that is going to be different depending on the airport, like who actually does that. Um, you can definitely wait around. Um, I often do depending on how much time I have left to get myself on the airplane. Um, but I will often hang out in the security area until the baggage handling people come and actually take the dog, um, wheel the dogs away. Um, After that, again, it's a bit airline dependent, but um, with Alaska, um, there's really nothing else you do except get yourself to your gate. And then once on board, um, you will be given a notification, a little sticker that says your dog has been... um, Put on the plane. Put on the plane. And basically, if you don't get that before the doors close then you stand up and you get be, a f- you become obnoxious yeah you get a flight you attendant basically don't allow them to close the doors without giving you that piece yeah. of paper or uh, yeah not to leave the airport um before you get that and they make sure the dog is on the airplane um when you get to your destination then you go to baggage claim and again um the airports will have oversized baggage pickup areas and that is where you will pick up your dog or the other tip is to find an agent on that side and ask them where the dogs will come so at a few airports 
like you can kind of tell the oversized baggage is like there's no way a dog is coming out of there and in those cases I will find um, the airline agent or a, a you know someone that's standing around baggage claim and ask them where do the dogs' checked baggage come from? And I've never had issues with them being like, I don't know. They always can point you exactly in the right direction. And so a couple of things um, to do with the arrival portion. Somebody had asked about feeding. You actually are required to feed your dog before putting them on the plane. You're not allowed to fast them. Um, a lot of people were kind of maybe hinting that that would be what they would want to do. Um, which makes sense because dogs can't get out to go to the bathroom, but you're not allowed to. You, they will ask you if you have fed the dog. Um, so when do you usually feed them? There, yeah, and there is a specific time limit, um, and I don't remember exactly what it is. I just I always answer that I just fed. I have just fed them um, because I do typically have. That's usually true. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, have some Stella and Chewies, some kind of dehydrated food with me that I actually use to um, get them in the crate or reinforce them for getting in the crate. And then also when they're checked, when they're finally going in, you know, I give them a little, a patty or two um, to go into the, the crate. Otherwise, um, you know, I don't really change their meal times. Um, so if they're home, then um, you know they get fed at the normal times, and then I have a little extra to help them get in into the kennel. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just to be clear, you can wheel the dog around in the crate in the airport. You can walk them next to the crate while you transport the crate on a cart. But when the agent screens the crate the dog needs to be outside of the crate so if you have concerns about the dog being handleable in the airport you do need to think about that piece because they can't they will not be in the crate the entire time because they have to they can't be in it when the agent screens the crate essentially they can be in the crate the majority of this entire process but during that little process they will have to come out and you it really depends on the airport what they're going to have to deal with right. in that moment. Yeah. I mean, we had a, you know, chihuahua on a flexi being held onto by a toddler in a stroller approach us in um, one of the last screening areas that we had ghost in. Mm-hmm. So things like that. Yeah. Not it, fun. It, in the how it is done is different at every airport as well so I've had certain airports where I just have to take the dogs out and there's like a certain point I can't go past and I'm expected to stand there with the dogs and all my Mm -hmm. luggage and they just take the crates past get them screened and then bring them back out to me Um, I've also had it at certain airports where they allowed me to to go with the dog all the way into kind of the back area where the TSA agent checks it um, and then I put the dog in. Um, so it's very it's very different at each airport. I've even had one airport where they actually um, did a pat down on my dog. So I've only had right. that happen once, but it, it you know, 
weird things happen with security so well and they're they're allowed to they're allowed to screen the dog itself yeah um okay so you get the you get the crates screened you get the dog booked you're on the plane you get your little ticket now what happens when you arrive is you need to figure out where the dogs are coming into baggage and this is again one of your key differences between flying them as checked baggage versus cargo that is actually different and usually with cargo there's a separate area to go pick up uh or yeah i'm not gonna say usually because there's so many differences airport to airport but i do know at least one airport where it's an entirely separate building actually i've only known it where it's a separate building yeah so if it's cargo it's going to be another building and that just that just changes things but basically you you just go and you ask somebody where to where the dogs come into um baggage claim and and always use the words checked baggage yeah so because if you just say where the dogs come like they don't know if your dog flew cargo or if your dog flew as checked baggage so i always am very specific of i flew my dogs as checked baggage where do i go get them um and then yeah it's not not an issue yeah so let's talk a little bit about gear you had mentioned that you need to zip tie the crate door shut in front of the agent um it's best to have quick release zip ties for this you have a little bag attached to your crate that has them in there um because then you don't need a knife correct to get the dog out or scissors which i mean technically you could have because the crate is checked baggage you could have scissors yes in the pouch or tape to your crate so that you have them um, available to cup cut the zip ties but then you've just wasted those zip ties right. and you know we're going to be we're environmentally conscious, conscious we, and we're going to reuse yes. all the zip ties so i have a baggie of like probably 20 zip ties and i just reuse them over and over um and they're the quick release which you know they're not the easiest right quick is not exactly accurate but you can get them to come undone yeah and the other thing about the bag that i have attached to the crate that's where i store the extra food um because you are one of the requirements is that the the pet does travel with food so um so i have food in there i have the zip ties sometimes i have um poop bags because just you definitely want to have poop bags because it's possible that the dog has pooped in the crate when when you get them back sometimes Um, that happens um i always have poop bags in their travel gear i just may or may not have attached it to the crate um and then water you are required to have water in the crate for them when they fly and one thing that you can do is actually just freeze the water bowl so that the water isn't splashing everywhere but they do have access to yeah water um you can also have there's all kinds of contraptions where it's like the water bowl is on the inside but there's a funnel or like water receptacle on the outside um that holds water you know kind of like what i like a guinea pig or a hamster but it actually goes to a bowl rather than like that they have to lick that little ball to get the water to come out 
And then um, you always write up a little info card for the front of the crate. What goes on the info card? So for me, I want everyone who is handling my dogs to have a sense that they know who's in there and that they are a part of the family. So part of the way I do that is by introducing them to the dog. So I have a little picture of each dog and I, you know, change it up um, and it, it tells them what their name is and what their breed is and how old they are sometimes. And then I, tell them why they're flying so like I'll often say you know we're going to compete at the U.S. Open um, for agility or you know something like that and then I always have the flight number that I'm on and my cell phone number um, and then like you know sometimes just like a little blurb again depending on the dog like I'll say oh if you ask me to wave I, I might wave at you or you know something cute like that and a little picture yeah of the dog goes right on that card too um all right so people had wondered about best time of the day to fly do you prefer to fly the dogs at night during the morning sometimes you know because we're picky about the airline you don't have a lot of choices yeah in all honesty I I am never picking based on what time of day I'm picking based on direct flights and um where you know location yeah so again thinking about where I fly to it's mostly east coast and for us on the west coast that means it's probably going to be a morning flight that's just when they tend to like for us to fly back east but then coming back it's the opposite where they usually put us on an evening flight um to fly to the west yeah yeah um so people had also asked about times of year to avoid and I would say you don't you just follow you know if the airline has restrictions based on temperature then you would follow their restrictions yeah so definitely there are going to be temperature restrictions and again um, I've been lucky. I've, I've never needed to fly to places that get super hot. So I've never needed to fly to like Arizona or Texas in the summer. Um, and it really hasn't been an issue. Um, probably the hottest is, is that we fly to Florida in November, which can be in the seventies, but I don't think that's an issue. Um, we also fly to places like Pennsylvania in the winter and you know the cold cold. really isn't much of an issue if I'm really worried about the cold um, I will have the dogs fly in coats yeah Um, but they they are also required to have absorbent material on the bottom of their crate Um, and what that means for me is I put blankets and dog beds so I think that Mm -hmm. helps keep them warm too yeah so, um, people had mentioned talking about maybe the safest crate, and I don't think there's actually any statistics on crate safety, but you're pretty limited as to what crates you're allowed to fly dogs in. Um, and we have two of the, probably the two most popular allowed crates are just a plastic airline kennel, standard, and then 
we also have an impact crate. So maybe talk about why you like the impact, but why the plastic is also okay. <laughs> um, I mean, the impact, it's really just like a sense of, of mind I guess yeah. is why you get it it's also pretty yep. um, you get to pick your color um the other thing I really like about it is the accessories so when I was flying with two what did you call them standard airline mm-hmm. um crates it's really hard to get those around the airport by yourself yeah um and so I like that the impact I could I bought wheels for it, so now I can wheel it around, and then the wheels just go on top when they get checked. Um, and you can put your plastic kennel on top of the impact yeah. when you're wheeling, too. So it just makes traveling with two yeah, dogs a lot, a lot easier. easier. Um, the, the biggest issue, though, is definitely do your due diligence and look at what the airline requirements are um for the crates um and i believe it's the you want to look at the iata requirements um because there are some crates out there that they won't that won't be allowed um some of the biggest things that you you want to make sure um you have to have side rails because that's how they lift the crate Mm -hmm. um you the crate can't be collapsible so if it is a crate that can collapse you have to have things on it that prevent it from being collapsed or collapsing accidentally um and then you also have to use certain types of closures so like bolts screws and bolts um to help keep it together rather than just like nails um you know right it's just you know it's these things that like most like the crate manufacturers probably do know about but you also just want to make sure you don't want to buy a really expensive crate to find out oh the airlines aren't going to accept it and the thing is that people don't know and when you show up with something that looks different they're going to question it um so for the first time ever and i've been flying with the impact for over a year now um but for the first time ever i was finally i was questioned about it at the last airport and it had already been checked in so i'd already gone to the gate agent gotten all this stuff um but i was waiting to go um to get it TSA checked because we had a long time before the flight Mm -hmm. and when I did go to the TSA there was a new gate agent and she came over and immediately was like is this crate allowed I'm like yeah it's already been checked in but I you know I had to go over everything with with her and it was fine it was just because she had never seen a crate like that before she immediately questioned it because she's supposed to, right? So she's never seen this crate. Now she has to actually get the list of rules out and make sure that the crate abides by all the rules step by step. Versus you got a plastic very kennel. She has checked a million of those. She knows that it meets all the requirements. She just does a brief overlook and then can move on. So, and I do think it's important to that, that you know the rules and that you know that your crate follows the rules. Um, 
And then I think, like, going to safety, you know, the crates inherently, I think, are safe. The the question is, is the dog comfortable in them? Because that's where the safety comes in. Um, You know, and and there's a lot of things you can do to make sure that the dog is comfortable in them. But, yeah, I mean, even the impact crates talk about, like, doing different accessories different recommendations if you have a dog that is anxious about being in crates or anxious about flying and it is just some more safety measures um to like help them stay help them stay calmer but then also prevent any anything weird from happening basically if the dog is calm and comfortable that's the biggest safety measure you can take is helping the dog feel calm and comfortable because the horror stories are so often actually about the dog getting out somehow and then running away. Um, That's a lot of the horror stories that you hear. And so you want the dog to be handleable, comfortable, and just really secure in in the crate that you put them in. Um, And I will talk in a little bit about you know, people asked about training and things like that. Um, and we can get into some specifics, but a couple more questions for you, Leslie, one of them being, um, sedation. Everybody always asks, can I just sedate the dog so that they don't have to be scared? What's the deal with sedation? Well, so you want to be really careful with sedation because, and I'm not going to get too much into the physics of it. Um, but basically, when you go to altitude, you're already going to be dealing with blood pressure issues um, because of the change in altitude. Um, often, the medications we give for sedation also cause the dog to lower their blood pressure so if you give them certain medications in which they're really sedate that could potentially cause one of these health issues that ends up being a statistic of you know the dog something happened to the dog in flight I do think there are some safer anti-anxiety drugs now um, that are okay to use but again you don't want to use them to the point where like your dog is ataxic or you know unable to walk or stand um you're really using these drugs just to kind of take the edge off it's kind of like you know if if you have a bit of anxiety flying you know taking something um so that you are less anxious but you're not passed out on the airplane you need to not you need to Um, still be functional and so does your dog yeah so um i think of the drugs that i feel okay with um are you know trazodone and gabapentin the thing is you need to know how your dog reacts to them before you give them for a flight because some dogs, a really low dose of trazodone will knock them out. And that is not what you want to happen on the airplane. So just when in doubt on that front, talk to your veterinarian. And if your vet has never flown a dog, doesn't have a lot of clients that fly dogs, they may not have a good answer for you. And you may want to seek out um, 
a veterinary professional who actually does do this or has a lot of clients who do. So um, sometimes an easy way to do that is you're always going to have your dog show vets. Like the, the vets that all the dog show people go to, yeah. those are the vets that are going to know the answer to these questions. Yeah. Um, okay, so... One big question, which I think is going to relate back to training and preparedness, was how do you know if the dog is okay flying? That was that was the question. I'm going to say that there's two ways for me to take that question. One would be how do you know before you fly them that they're going to be okay? Mm-hmm. And then the other way that we can take that question is how do you know once they have done it that they're okay to do it again? Um how do you know before you do it? I'm just going to tell you, you don't. You can make your best guess as to whether or not your dog is a good candidate. And what that means would be um, not a fearful temperament. So pretty confident temperament. Good bounce back. It is not going to be easy for them. They need to have a quick recovery time when something happens that's not super fun for dogs. Um, and no noise phobia dogs dogs scared of loud noises then the airport and the airplane is a nightmare for them so um, those are just kind of some basics of get really honest with yourself about whether your dog is a good candidate for this or not we have dogs that are not good candidates for it and we have dogs that are excellent candidates for it and then we have got dogs in between that might need a little bit more help um and you, I think you don't know for sure who's who. Uh, you probably, I mean, I know which dogs are not good candidates. But of the dogs that are good candidates, you don't know who's going to take it really well and who's going to take it a little hard until you've done it. Did you have anything to add about that? No, I think that pretty much covers um, it. I mean, I yeah, I think there's a lot to say, to be honest with yourself. Because I think right. you know, like, how your dog handles being in a crate and like if your dog has never been in a crate don't make its first experience (laughs) be in a crate on an airplane bottom line crate comfort yeah is a big piece of whether they're a good candidate or not yeah um and then how do you tell if they're okay after you look at you look at everything you look at their behavior the day after the night after um look at them when they come out you know are they are they in a big stress pant are they doing a lot of vocalizing like they're gonna be really worked up to see you when you pick them up that's normal that's fine but screaming squinty eyes looking around big big stress pant that kind of thing do they feel hot like have they gotten themselves kind of worked up into an uproar like those are things to pay attention to um and then a, a good measure that Leslie has kind of discovered too is what's their performance like once you get there are they still able to go and compete and do agility and act normal or not and then sometimes you know in the case of Ghost her ability to do that has drastically improved as she has been flown more and more but at first she needed like a good two days to recover before she could be who you expect her to be on course yeah, it wasn't like she wasn't, she couldn't do agility. Right. It was little things. It was like, little. I felt like she was a little more sticky. Like, I couldn't count on quite the early commitment to an yeah. obstacle or the distance that we normally have. Um, 
the other thing I will say about getting the dog, like when you get there, what I've noticed <clears throat> is with my dogs, you know, when they come out before they know I'm there, they're quiet, they're quiet. like and calm. Then they hear your it's voice. not until they actually see me or I go to move it or open it that then they get really excited and they yeah. will vocalize if and you pant can hear at that them point. Across baggage claim, they're upset. Yeah. Even ghost, that's not been a thing. She starts vocalizing when she knows you're there. Mm-hmm. And she likes to hear her own voice. So that's, <laughs> you know, amazing. Um, okay. So a lot of people are really worried about doing this. And, you know, for good reason, because there are babies. We worry about them. We, you know, it's scary. And then we hear horror stories. And we get really upset about the horror stories. So are there statistics? How safe is it? We looked up some stats for you guys. So, um, just so you guys are aware, there is something called the Air Travel Consumer Reports. And if you go to that, they do monthly reports. um, And one of the things they report every month is um, animals, um, let's see, animals injured, lost, or killed. And I will say it is... Um, so I looked at the December report and it was reporting for October. So generally they're probably about two behind. months behind. Um, because all of 2000, let's see, I guess I'm a little behind. I didn't want to go through and do my own math. So I found a report that had done it for me. So I'm going to report 2017 statistics. I'm going to let it slide. Yeah, that were calculated, (laughs) um, that were done by the end of March in 2018. So we're probably not going to get 2019 statistics until about March of 2020. So one of the important things to remember from these statistics is that it includes all animals. So we're not just talking dogs. We're talking cats. We're talking geckos. We're talking birds. We're talking snakes. It is all animals transported on airplanes. So in 2017, there were 506,994 animals transported. Of those 24 died 15 were injured and one was lost out of what was that number again 506,994 <laughs> so i did some simple math for you to figure out the percentage because i think that's where it's a little bit easier to understand So the percent of animals that died being transported on an airplane in 2017 was 0.005%. The amount injured was 0.003%. And the one that was lost is 0.0002%. And all of these, none of these are in cabin. These none of them are all are in underneath. Cabin. Yeah. The airline. So this is not including stats for animals in cabin, which we do know 
there are deaths and injuries involved in cabin as well. Yes, um, the, the airlines are not required to report pet injuries or deaths in cabin. So those statistics and transport numbers are specifically for dogs or sorry, animals flown in cargo or as checked baggage. And it kind of comes back to, you know, if you're a human who's afraid of flying, the intellectual kind of response to that is that you're in more danger in your car, statistically speaking, than you are on an airplane. And so this is true for animals flying also. Is that correct? Car deaths are a big problem and a big deal. Yes. So unfortunately, in trying to find statistics on car deaths, um, one of the issues I ran into was that it's hard in a quick search to differentiate between deaths from being hit by a car versus deaths of dogs in a car. Um, And so that does add some confusion to the statistics with cars. Um, but what I did find, and again, I, I, would, I would take this as a bit of an exaggeration, but it was the only thing I could find quickly, was that the American Humane Society estimated there are 100,000 dogs that die per year in car accidents. And I don't know, I think I would believe that number. Um because the stats for humans are so high too. Yeah. And just because I know that my listenership, that's American Humane, that's not HSUS. They're different organizations. American Humane is responsible for stats like this. American Humane is responsible for keeping animals safe on movie sets, things like that. So this is a different organization than Humane Society of the United States. Um, so I think it's probably a statistic we can trust, which is really scary um so going back to so essentially we feel relatively safe doing it is is kind of what what we're saying is it nerve-wracking yes yes it's hard every time yeah um and it's it's kind of a cost versus benefit situation but it's it's not that we just like flippantly do it and don't don't worry it's that we do our very best to keep them as safe as we possibly can by being careful about the sedation and the crate they're in and, you know, all of those things. And choosing Alaska, who does a really nice job. Um, and then we just, you know, you <laughs> you wave goodbye as they get wheeled away and you wait with anticipation bubbling over with anticipation until they bring you your little piece of paper that says they're on board and then you can breathe um and then you get anxious all over again when you land and and have to go go wait for them (laughs) so when we're thinking about whether the dog is a good candidate or not also think about whether the human's a good candidate because if you're terrified of flying and you're already having a lot of anxiety about flying then it might not be a good idea for you to try to fly a dog this way, honestly. So as far as pre-flight training goes, the biggest thing, you guys, is those life skills. Walking on a leash through a crowd, being able to hang out and do nothing when that's what's expected of you. Downstay, sit-stay, you know, like basic leash manners. 
people are going to pet your dog without asking. So some basic, basic um, kind of sociability. Children are going to run up to your dog. If that's not a good thing, you need to be prepared to block them. There are going to be dogs in the airport. The last time we were flying, um, there was another dog getting on our flight. And the man attached to this dog just uh, basically allowed the dog to pull him straight towards where I was standing with our two boys. And I don't know that dog. I don't need dog interactions in an airport. I don't think that's smart. So I move away and he moves closer and I move away and he moves closer. And it just kept happening until he got a clue. And so things like that you've got to be prepared for. Or maybe you do let the dog say a quick hello and move on. Like, so being able to dismiss a social encounter. Like, if they're barky lungy, if they're upset about waiting for any length of time, if they can't walk on a loose leash, like, those are the things to train. Um, you know, I think you should anyway, because I think, you know, well-trained dogs get to go a lot of places and get more enriched lives. But those are the pieces that the dog's going to be really stressed if it can't handle the airport itself when it has to be out of the crate. Other than that, crate comfort is your biggest job, pretty much. Okay, and now I'm going to read some specific Patreon questions um, regarding flying dogs. So over on Patreon, I asked everybody the same question I asked on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, and I'm actually going to read some of these questions um, and answer them now. So Suzanne says, the process to check the dog in and then retrieve the dog at the destination. I've seen photos with you and Leslie hanging out with the dogs before flights. How does that piece work? What work was done to prepare the dogs for the experience? How did you ensure that they are good travelers? When do you know that they are ready for their first flight? So first question, um, you saw Leslie and I hanging out with the dogs because we got to the airport at the right time according to the information we had, only to find out that our flight was delayed over an hour. We didn't want the dogs to have to hang out in the kind of holding area any longer than necessary. So we got the check-in process kind of finished and then took our crates with us, took the dogs with us and went and sat down for a while. Um, so that, and that's where those great life skills come in. So the work that was done to prepare the dogs for that experience is going to the car dealership while we get an oil change and just sitting there. <laughs> um, going to Cabela's and walking around, doing a downstay, stuff like that. So life skills is what prepared them for that. Um, ensuring that they're good travelers, that's really about knowing what their crate behaviors are like in real life, uh, particularly in the car. I think that that would, that translates better to the airplane. And then you know, again, knowing what they're like out and about in public, knowing that these are two dogs that we can walk. And I'm talking about Finnick and Watson um, is who we flew most recently, the two youngest dogs that we have. And, you know, I knew that they were both going to be able to walk through an airport without a problem, without having a problem if they saw a, you know, person that they'd never seen anyone like that before or a dog. They're, they're nice dogs, well socialized were able to handle that experience. And I knew they'd be able to handle that part for sure. How do you know they're ready for their first flight? Well, Watson and Finnick were both imports. <laughs> Watson's from Japan and Finnick is from England. So this wasn't either of their first flights. Um, and to be honest, I think I'm gonna answer this question in a minute, but basically if their temperament is good, 
They are not um, acting weird. I'm not kind of thinking they're in a sensitive period right now or anything like that. Then they're ready to give it a shot. So Noah says, doggy ear travel is a great topic. I hate it myself. <laughs> One does any, and I think that's she hates to fly herself. Um, does anyone use medications these days? Slight sedation versus anxiety meds versus no meds. We covered that in the podcast too. Anything you can tell us about preparing dogs to fly in cargo other than acclimating to a crate would be enlightening. So again, our dogs technically fly as checked baggage and not cargo, which is slightly different. Um, generally speaking, you could do a whole lot of training in this regard, or you can rely on the dog's solid temperament. Um, I like it if the temperament allows us to simply fly the dog. Acclimating to the crate um, is important. They need to be comfortable in the crate. They need to be comfortable in the crate in the car for long hours. And other than that, you could put your airline travel crate on wheels, roll it around, practice that. Um, you could put the crate on inflatable equipment so that it moves when the dog jumps into it. You could do a lot of stuff like that. We really haven't, to be very honest, but you could. And then the last question, how did you determine that Felix is not a good prospect for air travel? If you knew him personally, I think you'd understand. He's a sweet, wonderful dog who really is the most incredible, resilient guy. And yet there are specific things that he does not like that upset him. And by upset, I mean he'll kind of flatten and maybe go hide in the back of the crate. Or if he's in the house, he might go hide in one of his little hidey holes that he's got in the house. Um, and so to me, it might put too much stress on him to do it. If I had to do it for some reason, I could. And I wouldn't um, think that was going to be detrimental to the rest of his life. But it's not something that we're going to be doing regularly. One of the things he doesn't like is stuff falling over. <laughs> and, you know, stuff being thrown down kind of loudly. Being put up in the baggage area and having bags shoved in, that would be upsetting to him. Um, and then he also doesn't like loud noises, and there are a lot of loud noises when it comes to airplanes. So for me, for Felix, it's just kind of not worth it to be doing it a lot. I could do it if I needed to, for sure. Um, let's see, Jan says, how can you best assure your dog is treated well by the airline? Is there a tracking device you can use? And do you know of an air carrier that specializes in transporting dogs? I know those air carriers were um, kind of thought up as a concept, but I'm not sure if there actually is one. We use Alaska Airlines because they do an excellent job. Um, they do a great job with our dogs. They do a great job with all of our friends' dogs. Historically speaking, Alaska Air has been fantastic, so that's why we use them. And I think that's the biggest thing that we do to ensure the dog is treated well by the airline. The tracking device question um, is one that is important. You guys know that I use a Garmin GPS tracking system on my dogs when I hike. Thus far, we've only tried to use one tracking system flying. We used the whistle, um, knowing that it would cut off kind of as soon as we were in the air because it operates on cell service. But it actually wasn't accurate enough and it created more stress for us. Ghost was wearing it when we flew her the first time and we knew she was on the plane and yet the whistle was alerting our phone that she was like across the airport on a train. And it was actually really nerve wracking to kind of go, okay, I think whistle's screwing up right now. 
because Alaska says the dog is on the plane. But how do you know for sure? And it was it was awful. And she was on the plane, and we did not put it on her for the way back. Um, so it just it just wasn't accurate enough, plain and simple, to be helpful. I do know other people that have used similar devices with success. So you might keep asking um, the internet, maybe find some people who have some success stories and what devices they were using, but the whistle did not work for us, and we have not tried to leave a Garmin tracker on a dog yet when they were flying. Rendina says, how do you know when you should not fly your dog? Is this or um, in this or any manner, specifically what behaviors or personality traits in an individual dog should clue the owner that their dog will not be able to handle this type of transportation? Basically, they have to be able to function in the airport. And we talked about this a little bit, but like, so stranger directed aggression, it's going to be pretty much a no-go. Um, dog directed aggression can be a problem too, because people are you know tend to be not great with their dogs in the airport and you know you could certainly run into tsa dogs although they they tend to avoid you just as well um but basically you need a well socialized dog that has good life skills that's the core that you need and then other than that i would not fly and we said this in the podcast i would not fly dogs that have um noise phobia or any kind of noise reactivity above kind of normal levels so thanks for those bonus questions, you guys, and I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron. 